right, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Verse podcast. I'm your host for this uh, podcast, Travis Zapp. I'm the uh, editor in chief here at Comics Verse, and we've got quite a panel put together for this podcast focused on Jason Todd slash Red Hood. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, Comics Verse regulars joining me. Uh, to my right, we've got Fabio. Fabio, say hello. Hey, hello, everybody. Yeah, I'm Fabio. I am a writer and contributor for Comics Verse. Happy to be here. Jason Todd, probably one of my favorite characters in Batman Family, second to Dick Grayson. All right, excellent. And we've got an artist perspective coming from Malia. Hi, guys. I'm Malia. Um, I am an artist, as stated, and I am a contributor for Comics First. I would have to say I favor Dick Grayson. Sorry. So, um, yeah. All right. And we've got Josh. Josh. How you doing? What's up, man? I'm Josh, and you guys know me. I'm the returning champion of Comics Verse, so here we go. El Champion. And Brian, how you doing over there? I'm good. Brian Del Pozo, staff writer, social media specialist, and I love all Robins equally. Right. <laughs> Except for Damian Wynn. An yeah. equal opportunity, <laughs> unless your name is We Damian don't get to Wynn. talk about him today. <laughs> yeah, no, no. This is the... Uh, the Books that we're reading, or have read rather, for the podcast today are books that precede Damian Wayne. So fortunately for Brian, there are no Damians to be found on the pages of our readings today. Uh, the readings for this particular podcast are all covering the origin story of Jason Todd, and he's got quite an interesting history. So we actually began with his original, well, not truly original origin story, his second origin story uh, in Second Chances, and then continued on with the next book, which, you know, goes over his death, which you might think is an ending. Uh, that book is called The uh, Death in the Family, and we find out that that's actually just another uh, chapter in what's ultimately the origin to a character known as Red Hood, which we learn about in Under the Red Hood. So before we dive into who the hell this character is and what makes him tick. Let's uh, just dive into uh, some quick summaries of these three books. Could anyone give a quick summary of Second Chances or should I just go for it? All right, I'll, I'll go for it. Uh, long story short, we've got at the beginning of Second Chances, Bruce Wayne slash Batman is still working with Dick Grayson, Robin, at this point in time, but Robin gets into uh, sort of a near-death encounter. He gets shot in the shoulder by the Joker and almost falls off a building to his death. Batman gets pretty distraught, realizes how terrible it is for him to be placing minors in danger, and forces Robin to quit. Uh, Robin, of course, goes off to uh, become Nightwing, wing ultimately and batman realizes that he can't really be batman without a sidekick and ultimately finds this orphan jason todd who is trying to steal wheels off of the batmobile so he brings jason todd in uh, after uh, an, a really weird misjudgment on uh, batman's part uh, but ultimately brings jason in and um, starts to use jason as the new robin which um, dick isn't all too happy about but I mean, he ultimately just kind of has to deal with it. And that brings us uh, later on to the events of a death in the family. So, uh, Brian, you want to take us in through uh, a death in the family? Sure. Just a quick synopsis of a death in the family. Uh, you have to know just beforehand that DC, you know, it's very famous, but that there was a phone stunt tied into Death in the Family, which ended up being, if you called one phone number, Jason Todd lived. If you call one phone number, Jason Todd died. Which kind of, um, it's important, obviously, from an outward standpoint, from a character standpoint, we'll get into it, but just from, a, from the recap of the story, it's important to know that because that's kind of why the story kind of flows the way it does. Essentially, and I'm just giving like a really, uh, really blow-by-blow one, Jason Todd is searching for his mother. They track her to a Middle Eastern country. 
turns out the Joker is also there dealing arms. Okay. <laughs> um, we find out that Jason Todd's mother is actually in cahoots with the Joker. She turns Jason over to the Joker. The Joker beats him with a crowbar, sets off an explosion that could kill them both. That's where the vote happened. The explosion was at the end of one issue. People had, I think it was three days to vote on whether Jason lived or died. They had two uh, issues ready to go, one where he lived and one where he died. Uh, his death won. Jason wins. Batman kind of loses his mind, for lack of a better word, is determined to Wait, kill... Real quick, Jason doesn't win. Jason totally dies. Yeah, like, this is... Like, oh, sorry, I meant Jason, Jason dying wins. Oh, What's yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was okay. like, I felt like, like a key word there. Go me. Yeah, Jason dies. Just to clarify that, total explosion. Uh, Batman kind of loses it at this point. It goes on this vendetta quest to kill the Joker, who has diplomatic immunity from the Middle Eastern country that they were in, which complicates things anyway. Eventually, Superman convinces Batman not to kill the Joker. Batman is very upset at the end of it. I wasn't telling you to speed up. I was telling you to just keep going because you could oh, ignore yeah, whatever sorry. happened over there. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I kind of burned through like all the all the big parts, I think. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Um, sorry, sorry for the accidental speeding up. Well, that's no problem. I'm sorry for leaving out the word died. Which is kind of in the freaking that, title. That's a pretty important detail. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Fabio, you want to take us through Under the Red Hood real quick? Sure, I'll be happy to. Okay, so Red, uh, Under the Red Hood takes place, I think, 16 years after Death in the Family. And basically, that story goes is that there, the, uh, there's this new character playing in uh, against Batman, Red Hood, and it is a role that was once formally uh, used by the Joker. And uh, eventually, throughout the whole story, like, up in the beginning, like I think Batman does... like. A, in his back of his mind, he thinks it is Jason Todd, but he's like trying to go in interacting with all these other DC characters who have died and come back to life. And the conversation he has with them, especially Superman, were actually really great. And I love the like the concept, like he's just trying to cope with the fact that this person who has, has passed away and he's come to terms with them being dead is now back in his life. And basically, we just see uh, Jason go through this huge elaborate plan to get revenge, not just on Batman and Joker. Like it's not just as simply as him wanting to kill them both. No, he wants them to both learn a lesson. He wants Batman to learn a lesson and allowing him to die and it's a really well written and uh it ends sort of like i guess on a cliffhanger you would say yeah yeah i would definitely uh agree that there's a bit of a cliffhanger it's a very interesting ending which i kind of want to explore a little bit deeper later but before we start diving into exactly who this jason todd is i want to remind everyone listening that uh although you already are aware of at least one way to find us because you're listening to this there's other ways to find us like uh, you can go search on the web at comicsverse.com facebook at facebook.com slash comicsverse twitter at at comicsverse tumblr at comicsverse.tumblr.com youtube at youtube.com slash comicsverse tv and uh what's the other one i'm forgetting instagram at at comicsverse uh we're also listing our podcast on itunes stitcher spreaker uh soon we're going to be up on iHeartRadio. we're on roku tv we're on soundcloud we're on soundcloud we're on all kinds of things so you look for us and you will find us and we will be there all right so we're going to start off our conversation about jason todd and red hood actually ignoring the Red Hood part. We're going to start off in his roots. We're going to start off with him as Robin. So looking at Jason Todd as Robin, obviously he wouldn't have had this opportunity to be Robin if Dick Grayson hadn't quit in the first place. So can somebody kind of like walk us through exactly what the reasons were for Dick quitting uh, and no longer deciding to be Robin? Because I feel like they're... Well, can I just, just one quick... Uh, you kind of alluded to this and I guess this kind of... It's really interesting to me because I had never read before we read this 
this Jason Todd's po- like I had heard of what Jason Todd's post crisis origin, but I didn't realize how much they changed Dick Grayson. Because pre-Crisis on Infinite Earths, Dick Grayson's retirement as Robin, he never gets shot by the Joker. Like, there's no injury or anything. That happens in New Teen Titans at the time. He, you know, there's back politics reasons why this happened among the editors. But Dick gives up being Robin because he feels he's outgrown it, becomes Nightwing. And Jason Todd is a circus acrobat whose parents get killed, much like Dick Grayson's. That sounds very familiar. (laughs) (laughs) With blonde hair and actually... Dick is a big part of him becoming the new Robin. And I didn't realize, like, I knew that they had retconned it, that Jason was stealing the hubcaps off the Batmobile or whatever. I didn't realize that they had retconned so much about Dick Grayson's involvement and kind of retconned out the idea that he left on his own as part of the Titans, but rather was fired by Batman for getting hurt and then I guess went and joined the Titans. See, that's one of the things that's very interesting about what we read today because, like you said, so much was uh, retconned. And I mean, even throughout Jason Todd's whole story, there's just retcon after retcon. With everything we've read, like, Jason Todd becomes like even from the beginning has been like the poster child of comic book retconning. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and it really helps to explain cuz like when I was just reading through these stories like I don't know, maybe it was just me, but I didn't understand the hatred for Jason Todd. Like, if, if it was up to me and, you know, a creator was saying, hey, you know, text this number or tweet this, you know, tag or whatever to vote for whether or not to kill this character, based only on what we had read today, Jason isn't a character that I would have voted to kill off. I, I don't know. And, you know, maybe it's just me, but, like, that does explain, though, if they took a character and redesigned him so radically, like... Uh, to change not only his entire origin story, but also his physical appearance. Like, basically, it sounds like the character was... And his personality, too. Like, initially, Jason Todd is very much like Dick Grayson Light. Like, just even the way he acts and talks, he acts and talks just like Dick Grayson. So it sounds like this Jason Todd that we read today was Jason Todd pretty much in name only in comparison to the original form of Jason Todd. Right. Like, to fans at the time, that's basically what it was. And it happened so fast, too. Like, the book we read today was from 86... Second the, the chances, first, the first, yeah, the second yeah. chances issues, I think, are from '85 to '86. And Dick Grayson becomes Nightwing, and Jason Todd is introduced only like in '80, late '83, and in the '84 New Teen Titans Annual. So it's like they introduced this character, had him around for less than a year, got people to know him, and then just totally radically not only retconned his origin that people had just read, but completely retconned like every personality trait he had. And it's very important to keep that timeline in mind too, because as quick as that retcon was if you look at three years in terms of comic book issues, that's maybe 36 issues if you're lucky. And, and I mean, that uh, what we read today basically was between Second Chances and Death in the Family, probably 12 issues of Jason Todd's entire publication right there. So we got a third of his entire run read in just the two of the first books that we read for this podcast, which doesn't really seem like within that run that there was anything that this character had done that was that terrible. But having that whole retcon explanation really makes me understand why there would have been such a hatred for this character. Um, What's interesting uh, to me is that Jason, this new version, really was very different from Dick Grayson. So what do you think it was that set Jason Todd apart from Dick Grayson as a Robin? I mean, Batman kind of says it that basically Jason just had a lot of rage within him and Dick kind of just had talent like he had talent and he seemed a lot more in control than Jason was with his emotions so they had similar story arcs and even with that you know that information about you know his death being 
voter created it it still flows and it still helps develop who robin is as a sidekick and who batman is as a person but yeah i i, I definitely think that batman explains and that it's, it's really just his emotions he just wasn't in control of his emotions which is what made him such a pivotal character and soon a villain i think what also makes it different that even though uh jason and dick and bruce are all orphans Jason had a very difficult upbringing just right from the get-go because his father was, I believe, what was he, like a, a thug? or He was uh, somehow involved in one of the crime families in Gotham, yeah. Yeah, and his mother was a drug addict, so right off the bat, he didn't actually have loving parents like Dick or Bruce, so he may have lost his parents, but he didn't exactly have the best childhood to begin with. And also, I feel like while Bruce and Dick both had defining moments that pretty much made their careers to become superheroes, Jason, didn't. his wasn't that, say, tra- dramatic. He had a traumatic life growing up, but his defining moment was him stealing the hudcaps off the Batmobile. Right, yeah, there wasn't like a cathartic experience that he had where he was like, oh shit, this just happened. My response is going to be to fight the injustice in the world or something. No, he, he, he kind of stumbled into it. He had exactly. no real control over the new future Bruce gave him. What do you think, I gotta Josh? say though, you know, Batman, those hubcaps, bro. You know, <laughs> that Batmobile is not uh, equipped very well if some kids just taking them off it. Well, they ended up sort of addressing that same exact yeah, thing yeah. in Under the Red Hood. And, and that's, you know, again, voicing what Brian had said earlier, Red Hood's story is very much just a tale of two or three or four or five retcons, you know? Every single time they are like, oh, shit, we need to fix this detail about the character. Well, I guess it's been five years. We may as well develop a new origin story for him or explain away that part of the origin story. Or wait, Hush was last year? Yeah, he was part of that story, though. Uh, Let's look at the pages of that and figure out how he fit in, you know? There's uh, very much a a lot of retconning going on in the history here. Fuck, what was I going to say? I don't know, man. Shit, I ha- I yeah, we've the all had these moments. The how, how, how they retcon the hubcaps of the Batmobile. It, that's where that started, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they explained, like, for a couple pages, explained that it was actually very difficult, and the fact it was a mix of both skill and luck that he actually managed to do that. Well, it was it was skill and a lot of luck, because it was something like the, those were, like, the brand new wheels that we had just installed. I hadn't even bothered screwing the hubcaps on yet or some shit, and it was like... <laughs> Oh, okay. Like, yeah. And Bruce, you, you screw in your own hubcaps, man? Like, dang. <laughs> Poor billionaire. That's a lot of hard hand work. Well, that's like super to be fair, day. Alfred was really busy that day. He was making a pot roast. The like, tinkerer wasn't around yet. Like, it was like, ah, fuck it. Just put it on. He'll be all right. Yeah, there should no be little like kid a whole... Is gonna so, take to be off. fair, Bruce, like, no one ever taught Bruce how to screw on hubcaps. That's true. Well, maybe Alfred did. <laughs> Alfred is the best. Alfred knows everything. I mean, and let's not lie. I mean, Bruce taught himself forensic science. He taught himself how to build a shitload of machinery. I bet he could screw in a hubcap if he needed to. Yeah. Apparently not. But he couldn't screw it in where it wouldn't get stolen. <laughs> What he needs is, like, some sort of NASCAR street crew. Like, he just, like, toots a whistle and right. suddenly... <laughs> and I was wondering, too, like, was he trying to replace it with, like, a cinder block? Because that would have been epic, you know? Like. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine Batman, like, coming back to his Batmobile with just, like, fucking cinder blocks? All cinder blocks? <laughs> yeah. What if instead of cinder blocks, like, some cop just came up and felt like a real dick and was like, yo, you parked in a no-parking spot. Here's a boot. Boot! <laughs> but, like, the Batmobile is probably so awesome. You find a way to, like, it would have its own, like, clippers just, like, fucking snap yeah, it right. off. They keep driving. <laughs> <wheels> <laughs> <off>. Exactly. <laughs> 
So we talked about uh, how Jason ultimately ends up dying. I feel like there's a little bit of some irony going on in Jason's death. Like, can we address this real quick? I mean, let's compare the the experience that got Dick fired from being Robin to the experience that got Jason permanently removed from the position. Like, come on. I don't know if this is the irony you mean, but I always found it ironic that, you know, Dick's parents are dead, Bruce's parents are dead, Jason's mom is alive, and that's what gets him killed. That wasn't the irony I was talking about, that's but that's a, a very point. good point. Yeah. 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 I, like, oh. too. I was just talking about, you know, Joker shoots Dick Grayson in the shoulder. It's not a fatal shot. And Batman's like, holy shit, somebody's going to get hurt by my, the things I'm doing. You can't be part of this. And then, like, it's all mopey as Batman does. And is like, oh, you know what? I, I really need a minor, like, teenage boy to be jumping around the roofs with me at guy. night. And then the guy he finds to replace Dick gets shot and crowbarred and exploded by the Joker, which is the exact reason that Bruce fired Dick in the first place. Like, this is the exact thing you were trying to prevent and why you didn't want a sidekick. Like, dude. Yeah. That that about sums it up. That really does. No, it does. There's like nothing else that could be said about it. I actually think, speaking of retcons, I think they later retconned it to that Two-Face shot, Dick. I think for that reason. That makes a lot of sense for a retcon. But hey, you know, again, it's the history of retcons via Jason Todd. What do you guys think the Joker's motivation was in this whole, you know, using Jason's mother? Was that even really his mother? That's sort of up for, you know, debate. And targeting Jason Todd, who he had to have known was a sidekick you know, to have developed or to have discovered the identity to find the mother of Robin. Like, what exactly were Joker's motivations? Was he striking at Batman? Was he just fucking around with this woman he happened to have met? Like, what was going on in Joker's head? Okay, to be honest with you, when I first read it, and I thought that it was kind of a weird coincidence. I don't know why at first, and I was just like, this is strange. And then, but as things started, like, coming together... Knowing the Joker, I just feel like he just wanted a reason to fuck with him. Like, once he realized who he was, he was just like, oh, you're the Rob. Oh, but you're also tied to Batman. Let me beat the living shit out of you because I know this is going to hurt Batman so much. Yeah, I don't think anything Joker does is very coincidental. You know, he does things for a purpose. and He does things for a purpose and then he doesn't. Because, that, like, the Joker is known for sometimes just doing things just for the sake of getting an effect out of people. And then just kind of, like, getting a good thrill out of that, knowing that he is just messing with someone's life. I guess my big question here is, for Joker to have intentionally been using Jason Todd's mother as bait implies that Joker knew that Jason Todd was Robin in the first place which isn't something that is explicitly stated or established at any point. So are we under the assumption that Joker knew this was Robin's mother that he was, you know, setting up here? Or was Joker just trying to fuck with some random orphan that was somehow associated with Bruce Wayne? Again, that depends on the implication that Joker (laughs) knows that Bruce Wayne's Batman. I kind of think it... Well, I mean, it's funny because I've always been of the belief that Joker knows and just doesn't care. Because, like, I don't think that killing Bruce Wayne means anything to the Joker. Like, killing Batman would be the ultimate thing. But I also always read it as a coincidence. Like, I I, I literally read it that he was using Jason's mother because of who she was. And then, like, oh, Robin's here. I'm going to beat him with a crowbar. Like, Like, it wasn't a grand plan. It was just like, hey, Robin. Hey, crowbar. 
Yeah, because maybe I missed it, but I didn't really see where the Joker knew that Robin was looking for his parents actively. So that's the only reason why I'm just like, I don't know if that was planned. I don't know where he got any leads. So it wasn't scheme. It was circumstance. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, okay. it, I mean, that kind of bothered me about this story a little bit because I just seemed like everything was just like, oh, I have to go to Africa. Oh, I have to go to Africa, too. And it's just like, I, I really didn't understand that part. Yeah, that's but a little contrived then. Looks like we're uh, due for another retcon then huh well you know we certainly have enough of them <laughs> i don't i don't want it so looking at the uh jason todd story before he gets killed by the joker and keeping in mind the whole ideas that uh sue batson brought forth again batson you know uh that she brought forth in her book truth about uh the inner truth of a person versus their outer need or desire and their ultimate tragic flaw or what aristotle would have referred to as hamartia what do you guys think would have been jason todd's inner truth outer desire tragic flaw like as far as pre just Jason yeah, Todd yeah, just in up, death in the up to his death I think that his public persona and what he wanted to be was to be Robin and to be a hero but his tragic flaw was that he couldn't control his impulses whether it was his angry impulses or his you know douchey impulses or his impulse to go after his mother who they know is with the Joker when Batman tells him, wait for me. And instead of, he just can't not, and that ends up getting him killed. So what would be the uh, inner truth for Jason Todd in that scenario? Inner. Like, like you, you talked about his outer persona is wanting to be this Robin character and the tragic flaw is pursuing his mother and having this anger and rage that he can't control. But what's like the inner truth of his character? What does he really need on the inside that he can't let anybody know about? I feel like... Or that he has trouble communicating, I guess I should say. Because like, it can go what Brian's saying, that he wants to be that hero. He also wants to be that hero that punishes people who he feels that they deserve the, the proper punishment, which is death most of the time, which is what Batman is just not about. But at the same time, I kind of feel like there's this like fear he has because like even when he explains later when he has this whole transformation and becoming the Red Hood, and he's mad at Batman because he's just like, you let me die. And it sounds like a very fearful, like personal, intimate moment that someone expresses like how upset and distraught they are about just like being scared and dying and not being saved. I see the point you're making. I would argue that Jason is more upset that Joker's still alive than he is that Batman let him die. But I see what you're saying. Fabio, you looked like you had something you wanted to add. Well, I just mostly feel that um, Jason probably feels like there's a lot of weight to this because whereas when Batman saw Dick Grayson, he saw uh, young Bruce Wayne. But when he looks at Jason Todd, he sees a young Dick Grayson. He's essentially trying to replace like Dick Grayson in that sense. And I feel like Jason probably feels like, oh, it's like, oh my God, he chose me to replace Robin in almost every sense of the world. So uh, there's so much weight on that and so much pressure. It's kind of like a, a second, like the second son, literally. So I feel like that's probably... Well, it's, it's second chances, you know? Yeah, it's like second chances. So. so maybe it is just that like idea of true justice or his idea mm-hmm. of what actual justice is because if he's really mad at the Joker, he's mad that he's getting away with all these things. He even says to Batman, he's like, if you would have killed him, you wouldn't have had all these problems and I would have been alive, quote unquote. So maybe it's just like he just feels like there's too much suffering that he's went through and other people have went through just for people who are just like extremely cruel and so like because things don't necessarily go the way that he wants he's just like angry which is obviously where all of it stems from i would definitely agree with that josh did you have anything you wanted to say I was going to agree with you, Travis, because, I mean, and everyone else, but he, he was more mad at Batman for not going after the Joker 
and kind of like avenging his death. And I kind of respect that, though. You know, I've always personally liked the I don't like the not killing thing. I get it. I get why Batman does it. But at the same time, like, hey, the Punisher gets things done. You know what I'm saying? So we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves focusing on, oh, on, on Red Hood instead of hey. Jason Todd, like yeah. Robin pre-death stuff. But uh, you guys are definitely hitting a very important debate we'll get into in a little bit. I definitely have some agreements and, and maybe agreements that are in a slightly different angle. I would say that that Jason's inner self, you know, here's an orphan. He's been raised on the street. You know, for at least what we've seen in Second Chances, he's a character who has had to raise himself, who has been living in like a shithole apartment, kind of like crumpled up in a corner, no electricity, no TV, but he's very independent. He's insisting upon that independence. He's somebody who doesn't want help. And I think that the inner truth is that here's a character who, uh, much like Hush, is somebody who, you know, doesn't have those parents, wants to find that love. And I think he gets that opportunity in. In Bruce and so the outer self is who he thinks that the only parent figure he has wants him to be and like uh, I forget who was saying it earlier that means that he needs to you know live up to what Robin is and the only example he has up to that point is Dick Grayson which means that when Tim Drake comes along and Jason Todd hasn't done so good for Tim Drake the pressure's off you know he only has to live up to somewhere in between the worst Robin and the best Robin Batman's ever had. You know, he can't really do wrong. You know, as long as I'm not trying to kill people, I'm okay. True, but, uh, but on the other hand, he also has the pressure of like, if he gets a splinter, Batman's going to freak out. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, that's a very different kind of pressure. But I think the tragic flaw here is, again, rooted in that search for love. If he didn't need that love and affection from a parent figure so much. And I mean, he's not getting it from Batman. That's ultimately what drives him away from Batman in the beginning of Death in a Family or Death in the Family and drives him on this search for his mother is because Batman flips out on him. You're too angry. You need to restrain yourself. Oh yeah, well screw you. I'm going to go do things my own way. Finds out about his mother and he's searching for that affection. Will do anything for that affection. Ultimately, we're left not even really knowing whether or not that's Jason Todd's actual biological mother and we are kind of in this point where maybe Joker has manipulated Red Hood, or not Red Hood, Jason Todd's emotions to the position that he's ultimately in. So I would say that that desire for affection and approval is, again, a, a tragic flaw, similarly to it is with, uh, with Hush in a, in a respect. All right, now, as we've said a couple of times before, Jason Todd is very much a character of retcons. He is, I, I don't want to say this as an absolute definitive, but he's probably one of the most retconned characters in comic book history. Like, even with other characters, like Batman has gone through a whole lot of reboots and crises and various DC maneuvers and has always retained, like, basically the exact same origin story. And we've already talked about how that hasn't always been the case with Jason. Now, Brian, you were uh, telling me and even speaking earlier about the uh, crisis on Infinite Earths and how Jason Todd was a very different character before and after. Could you tell us a little bit more about the pre-crisis Jason Todd? Right. So like I said earlier, pre-crisis Jason Todd was kind of created and basically to from a behind the scenes perspective at that time in the early 80s the new teen titans were the highest selling book at dc comics the new teen titans creative team marv wolfman and george perez wanted dick grayson to kind of become their exclusive character 
the Batman creative teams and DC Comics as a whole felt that Batman requires Robin. We want Robin to be around. People expect there to be Robin. So the compromise that was reached was that Dick Grayson would graduate to a new identity, Nightwing, and in his place, the they could create a new Robin who would essentially serve the same role as Dick Grayson. So they created Jason Todd, who had a purposely similar origin to dick grayson his parents work at the circus they're killed you'd be surprised how often circus parents get killed in gotham city circus is like up there with the gcpd is the most dangerous place to work in gotham there and any kind of abandoned warehouse that a villain can use as a hideout i don't think i would ever want to live in gotham guys just saying but the joker gas is so much fun but no (laughs) so after your first dose so basically they created this dick grayson cipher and, you know, obviously I wasn't alive at the time, but from my understanding, he was relatively popular. People just kind of took it as, okay, new Robin. Like, some people weren't crazy about it, but... So when Crisis came along, and remember, Crisis, within that same year period, you had Crisis, you had Dark Knight Returns, you had Frank Miller doing Year One, these gritty takes on Batman. And this Crisis was, like, the first major yes, reboot this, this in was the, any This kind was of the any... first reboot of any kind. It was, it was the first time that, you know, Marvel at that point was still probably too young to do a reboot so and dc had all the issues with like the pre-world war ii characters and so many versions of superman and batman and etc that they they do this mega reboot and actually jason the original jason todd appears in the crisis book a few times and basically the batman offices and seeing the successes that these grittier takes had had and etc they decided well if we have this chance to do a clean slate how about instead of just having this cipher Dick Grayson, who's kind of boring to write, why don't we come up with this totally new characterization? So they came up with the Jason Todd that we discussed, stealing the hubcaps off the Batmobile, unable to control his anger, etc., etc. And so that that's kind of where the shift came from, was they used Crisis as this idea to reintroduce a new version of Jason Todd, as we said before, so shortly after the original version had been introduced itself. And this is the Jason Todd that we are mostly focusing on here. I can't say entirely because even within what we've read, another reboot occurred. Right. Um, Once like Infinite Crisis happened, it kind of threw a lot of stuff for a loop because Infinite Crisis ended up kind of undoing and mishmashing a lot of stuff that Crisis had done and mashed it together with pre-Crisis stuff and etc. Infinite Crisis, by the way, has got to be one of the more ridiculously, implausibly unexplainable reboots like they they try to write it off there's an extra issue included in the back of some published editions of uh under the red hood that include a red hood full explanation of what happened between his death and the beginning of under the red hood and it turns out that in infinite crisis superman essentially breaks out of reality into a realm that is not quite existence it's like at the end of the original crisis on infinite earth the earth 2 superman who's like the original Superman. Him and a couple other characters are put into like this pocket dimension where they can survive. And actually, it's funny that you say that though, because he, like the whole wall punching thing. Yeah, he punches reality. Let's just simplify it as much as we can. He punches reality. And that never happens in Infinite Crisis. That's only in an Infinite Crisis secret files and origins or whatever that was written by a different writer. So, so, so what there's you're saying like, is there's, that... There's debate as to, like, like, Jeff Johns, who wrote Infinite Crisis, has gone on record as saying that was a stupid idea that he had no idea was coming out and had no approval over. So there's, like, debate over if that should be, like, seriously 
in canon or not, but then they use it to explain other See, stuff. Yeah, that's the thing. If so, you're going to use that to explain, you know, the resurrection of Red Hood, it, it has to be canon. But, you know, that seems kind of crazy. That It almost seems like the retcon needs to be retconned. Exactly. Like, it seems like they, they were retconning something that was happening in a book that was being published at the same time, which is... It's just a whole new level of like comic book inception. Well, whether Jeff Johns approves or not, this is going to have to be part of our discussion today because this is the retcon that led to the Red Hood's return. But that character even got retconned a little bit come time for the new 52. They kept the same whole idea about him getting killed by Joker, ultimately getting resurrected, changed a few details. He was just straight up resurrected via Lazarus Pit in the new 52. He was trained further by the all cast and stuff. Instead of by uh, the League of Assassins. And it turns out in the New 52 that Joker has kind of been completely orchestrating every event of Jason Todd's life down to the deaths of his parents, setting up the meeting between Batman and Jason Todd. Although in the New 52, it's uh, through Leslie Tompkins, not through the uh, stealing of the Batmobile. And that's the most recent comic book origin story. But those of you who play video games might be familiar with even another version of Jason. Todd. Has anyone here played the Arkham Knight game? No? Alright, well, long story short, in Arkham Knight, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't yet played Arkham Knight, don't listen. But if you have played Arkham Knight, you already know that the Arkham Knight is, in fact, Jason Todd, despite what the makers of the game promised us would be a brand new character we'd never seen before. But it's uh, basically that Jason Todd never got killed by the Joker. Instead, he got hypnotized and brainwashed by the Joker. But again, like I said, we were going to be focusing on the pre-Infinite Crisis, post-Infinite Crisis slash New 52 version of Jason Todd, which now that we have already talked about Jason Todd as Robin is basically going to be focusing on Red Hood in between the Infinite Crisis and the New 52. All right, so uh, we talked about the various retcons. We talked about how the Red Hood, well, how Jason Todd was Robin, ultimately died at the hands of Joker, and talked about how the uh, Infinite Crisis retcon you know, Superman starts punching some reality. The ripple effects of that make it so that the actual correct timeline is able to occur. And in the actual correct timeline, Jason Todd was never supposed to have died. So he comes back and ultimately through Under the Red Hood, we discover that he is the Red Hood. So what throughout Under the Red Hood is really Jason Todd's ultimate goal? And and how does he accomplish that goal? Uh, I think it's, 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 it's complicated because... On a very, like, primitive, I guess, his mission was to, I guess, get back at Batman in a way. You know, like I said earlier, to avenge, for not avenging his death. But at the same time, he, he also wants, he wants to prove his point that, like, killing certain bad guys is an effective way. And <laughs> Go ahead, Amelia. No, 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 sorry. Uh, continue, continue. No, and I was just saying, like, I feel like that was also kind of his point. And again, which I don't necessarily disagree with. Maybe a little too harsh, but, you know... It's a valid point. No, I was going to say, I agree that, that I feel like you kind of touched it because it is really hard to place exactly what it is because there's so many things that's like an affliction for him. And so, and like, even when he gets the Joker, he's a very efficient person. Like, once he's like in the situation where he needs to get the job done, he gets it done. Like, if he wanted to kill the Joker right then and there, I feel like he would have. Even how he was explaining how he wanted to torture him, I just feel like the Joker was a piece of something that was a lot bigger. And I really do think he just wanted Batman to see that that was important. Like, that rule alone that Batman needs to break his whole like limit on actually killing human beings because letting 
letting people live in certain situations has caused maybe caused Batman more trouble than it's worth. Oh yeah, absolutely. In the case of the Joker, Fabio. Yeah, I think it's interesting how Jason Todd just not only took the Red Hood name, but also took a bit of the Joker's whole goal. Like the Joker's goal is to get Batman to break his one rule to kill someone. Jason wants him to do that exact same thing. And let me interject really quick for the listeners who may not necessarily be aware: the Red Hood, according to the Killing Joke, was an identity that the Joker had adopted on the exact same night that he ended up becoming the Joker. So that's what uh, Fabio is referring to in this instance. And so uh, what I was saying that it's interesting how Jason essentially just, he, like Mountley said, that he could literally just, it would be simple to just kill the Joker and maybe even Batman, but that's not the point. That's not the goal. The goal here is to get Batman to realize the Joker is evil and he needs to die and you need to be the one to kill him. You need to break your one rule. And on that, I just want to add though, it, and this is kind of going ahead a little bit, but you know, Batman made a very good point. Like you, you see in Under the Red Hood that it is relatively easy for him to kill all these criminals, to kill the Joker if he wanted to. Um, but Batman, at the end when he confronts him, says the reason why he doesn't do it is because it would be too easy. You know, like it's not hard to kill these criminals, but there's a re- like he part of Batman's whole moral compass is not doing it when it's, it, it could just be done and over with. You know, and I think that's a really good point that Batman makes. One of the things that I think is very interesting is, you know, well, you're, you're, you guys have been talking a lot about this confrontation between uh, the Red Hood and Batman when uh, Joker is sort of kind of there stuck in between the two, which for me was a very, very interesting, the dynamic between Red Hood and Joker in particular was a very interesting parallel for me to the dynamic, but it was almost a reverse parallel to Joker and Jason Todd from uh, Death in the Family. You know, the, the crowbar scene in particular, if you look at the crowbar scene where Jason Todd is beating the shit out of Joker with the crowbar, it mirrors almost perfectly the actions of the Joker beating the shit out of Jason Todd with the crowbar from A Death in the Family. And I I just thought that uh, that was a very cool moment artistically, and I think that it's uh, cognizant or or, um, basically it just brings to light this whole idea of a major theme here that this is the past coming back to haunt Batman. This everything that is you know, has happened in the past is coming full circle. Here's Batman's biggest mistake, his biggest failure coming back to legitimately bite him in the ass. Not literally, just legitimately. I think it's interesting that he doesn't see how much he's becoming the Joker in a way. You know, he doesn't realize that this is what makes these psychopaths psychopaths that they do. He just did the same thing the Joker did to him. What makes you any different? You you know, even though you're killing bad guys, you're still doing it the same way, so... So here's a, a, a question, and actually this was going to be a question for a different segment, but it seems relevant now. Which, between Red Hood and Batman, which of those two is, you know, more, more effective at stopping crime? Ew. <laughs> it was like, it was like ready, and I was like, oh, wait, let me think on that. It's not an easy question. Yeah, it's not. Um, I mean, it depends on, like, efficient at what getting their 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 job done or just stopping crime like just stopping crime you know because i mean if you living in new york city right now as you do Mm -hmm. which vigilante if you needed to have a vigilante in your city stopping major crimes because you've got joker and two-face and all those fuckers running around you know which vigilante would you rather have patrolling the rooftops stopping 
super criminals. Daredevil, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say because I would have to choose Batman because I, I kind of do believe in his like moral code. But then it also kind of is one of those things where it's like if you get rid of one problem, there's going to be another one that you have to create, even though Batman obviously has these slew of villains that just like kind of recreate the same idea that because there is a Batman, there are all these villains. But it's also just kind of like... I just feel like the Red Hood is kind of making more problems for him because, yes, he's getting rid of these villains, but he's also making enemies. It's not like he just went throughout that entire book without getting a lot of people upset at him. But he didn't create any new enemies. The enemy that was already there was the Black Mask. He just antagonized someone that was already there. And, and, I mean, if you look at it, he kind of cleaned up the crime that was happening. He didn't stop it completely, but at least like with the drug trade as an example, he went, all right, I'm going to profit off this, but you can't sell to any kids. You got to stay away from the schools. I'm not saying that he's obviously like a good person, but I mean, he's definitely making some improvements in a, a an industry that might be a lost cause. You might not be able to completely shut down the drug industry, but at least you can control it a little bit, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I got to go with Batman, but actually for a different... It, it's sort of similar to what Malia said, but just really spreading it out, like beyond the moral code stuff. Gotham, and this has been a, a concept in Batman stories, and even in the movies, it's a big concept in the Nolan trilogy. Gotham's criminals escalate to match Batman. So if suddenly Batman started knocking people off, you're just going to have criminals more heavily armed. And then Batman has to get more heavily armed to continue killing them. And before you know it, you'll have essentially like armies massacring civilians in the streets. And it's kind of, it's almost like, I guess, a sociological factor of Gotham that their criminal population just escalates with Batman. For the sake of playing. And, you know, for every one, uh, for every one henchman of Black Mask, for example, like that Jason Todd kills, Black Mask probably puts five on the streets armed with automatic weapons instead of a handgun and kind of like build from there. For the sake of playing. uh, Like a population control kind of thing. For the sake of playing devil's advocate, though, don't you think that there would be some people who would see that like holy shit the red hoods on the street right now if i start allying myself with black mask i'm going to get killed like every henchman the black mask has not not necessarily because then the one of them who's able to knock off the red hood would then automatically become the most powerful criminal in gotham Okay, but I mean, right like, now, anybody like, who could knock off Batman would become the most powerful criminal in Gotham. So, I mean, you can make the exact same point about any superhero. So, do you kind of believe that Red Hood would be more effective? I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm oh, just because yeah. I think that Red Hood makes a very valid point in what he's saying to Batman, specifically with the example of the Joker, where here is a villain that Batman has stopped time and time and time and time and time and time again, and every time. The Joker breaks out of Arkham Asylum, breaks out of Blackgate, is found to be somehow sane, becomes a fucking diplomat for Iraq or whatever Middle Eastern nation that was. <laughs> so like, I guess it's like an idea of limits, kind of. It's just like both Red Hood and Batman are extremists in what they do. Red Hood believes that you have to kill the problem immediately, kill at its root. Batman believes that you don't have to kill. You can like restrain and rehabilitate. And it's just kind of like 
I get Red Hood, but his whole motive and like the whole aura that just surrounds him as a villain is just like, all right, he's not actually like trying to be a villain, but he is. But it's dark. It's not something you would just kind of say like, hey, I want my my daughter or my son to be exactly like Red Hood going around killing people. So I guess it's just like what seems to appeal more and what seems more comfortable, like what I feel safe around. It's just like, I feel like Batman is really has this idea of like true justice, like he's true good. I just, Red Hood just seems very destructive, and I really do agree with what Brian was saying. He's a sort of extreme that he's going to keep. He's going to get, like, five people off the street, but then they're going to come back ten times as, like, heavily armed, and it's just going to make larger problems. Like, you can't completely erase the problem. Like, that's not possible. Yeah, you, you make a lot of really good points, and I think that we agree on a lot of them. I think that Bruce and Jason are two very different extremes, and uh, specifically using the henchman example, I don't think that you need to go and kill every single henchman. I don't think that that's really the root of the issue. But when it comes to a character like Joker, I can totally understand where the hell Jason's coming from. Like, Bruce, how the hell haven't you killed this dude yet? And that's one of the things that makes uh, Jason's monologue to Bruce at the end of Under the Red Hood so emotional for me is, is this is coming from a place that is truly painful. Like, I don't understand, you know, if, if you're not going to let them, if you're not going to kill him after he's killed all these other nameless people that you've never met that will never, ever affect you. I don't get how you can do that, but fine, I'll accept it because you should have been able to kill this dude and stop, you know, thousands of deaths, but fine. How the hell couldn't you have avenged the death of someone as personal to you as me? Like, here's a dude who is just honestly a sociopathic maniac who deserves to have died 12 times over and who you and I both know is never going to be touched by the criminal justice system and never, ever going to get the punishment he deserves. How can you have not taken the steps to avenge, you know, something like that? Five, what did Jeff say? Yeah, I was going to say that I kind of disagree with the whole extreme because he even said to Batman, that I'm not saying to kill Penguin or Dent or Crane or any of those other villains because I don't think he would go around killing them automatically. He's not going to say, oh, you're a villain. I'm going to kill you right off. No, I think Jason chooses. He's being a jury and executioner, but I think he's going with his gut feeling. Like Joker obviously gets the axe because he's just insane because of all the lies he's taken. But I feel like with the other ones, I think that he can actually probably work with them or maybe control the crime because he's more of a realist in the sense that he knows you can't eliminate crime completely so he's gonna might as well control right it but gain. if red hood kills joker and then penguin says holy shit red hood is serious and then penguin amps up his violence to joker levels and then red hood kills the penguin and then yeah and, two and then murder two face and, yeah. and then two face says holy shit i thought he just killed the joker for personal reasons but if he knocked off penguin too that means that i gotta ramp it up past what penguin did yeah. And, and on and on and on. But even without the whole idea of escalation, I think that the idea of these extremes is present in the comic already. I mean, we see the the very first moment that we see the Red Hood, there's a bunch of drug runners who are not supervillains, who are workers for uh, Black Mask. I mean, and, and not even in just the first scene, but throughout this entire book, we see time and time again that there are nameless characters who get killed for no reason other than the fact that they're some somehow associated with Black Mask. And I mean, we even see past a certain point, you know, early on, Black Mask comments at one point, like when this guy first started out, he was trying
trying to claim territory. He was trying to take our resources. Now he's gotten to the point where he's not trying to do either of those things. He's just straight up trying to destroy us. He's killing everyone that he can see. He's exploding every truck that we've got, all of our supplies. So it's a point where it's not something that is selective. It is pretty extreme, you know? Yeah, I see where you're coming from. But at the same time, I think the, the way he started, it started out small and then eventually, yeah, it did get escalated big. So I think maybe if he continued that in the sense that he would, I think maybe if he does kill the Joker and then talks to Penguin saying, hey, I'm, I'll, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. Just don't do anything, but just don't, do, don't cross the line or anything like that. I mean, cool. at the end of the day, the, at the extreme point really is that Batman, I guess, I, okay, I guess I see what you're saying, because Batman really doesn't, like, he just won't kill anybody at exactly. all. But the Red Hood, he kind of picks and chooses his enemies, but he also at the same time has shown that he doesn't care. Like, if someone needs to die, he'll kill them, which is what he demonstrated in front of the assassin with the chain gun. He just killed those henchmen without call, and she was just astonished. She was like, you didn't have to do that. Oh, yeah, and, Onyx. Such yeah. a good character. Yeah. Yeah, like, like she so was. She's awesome. But see, she needs what, to be in more shit. She does. Yeah. But I, that's what a point I was gonna make earlier. It's like, well, what makes him the moral authority to decide who can and can't die? And, you know and, saying? Like, and that's like really where the meat of this right. story is: is what is justice and who gets right. the right to make that decision? Because you can say, you know, I'm not gonna kill people who don't deal drugs to to kids. But how does that make it better but than I, people who just deal drugs to kids? Like they're I still dealing drugs, you know, and those kids still might end up with it. It's like a very gray line of morality that he yeah and that's the thing with morality in general you know you you can look at any action against morality and quite frankly you know like with the whole idea of escalation you know someone's going to try to kill me i'm going to find a way around that people aren't going to deal drugs to you know school-age kids the school-age kids that honestly want the drugs are going to find a way around that yeah. you know and the, who says that the drugs aren't going to affect their parents which doesn't affect them I right mean, you know it's there, a, it's not there's just a, a very yeah there's a very much uh, huge shades of gray kind of scale going on with some of this stuff and i guess that's kind of why the idea of batman like he's just so appealing because it's like even though he does go around beating the shit out of people who like probably deserve it but it's like he you could, he's never taken alive and it's just like the red hood like that's a that's a very dark territory to kind of tread on because it's like exactly as you say, Josh, like who are you to say that you can take somebody's life? And I think the comic actually addressed it very well when they had that little piece about what makes people fear the Batman, right? And it ended up with that it's his resolve and more so than just his fear because like, you know, you can fear death or whatever, but you know the Batman's coming for you and he's not going to kill you. But at the same time, like he's going to keep messing you up. You know, he's not going to stop going after you. And like, even when the Joker saw him in Africa, he was like, why are you here? Like, yeah. It was just like complete fear. He's like really out of all places. So. so with all these questions of morality, I think this is a good point to ask the question of, do you think that Red Hood is truly a worthy replacement for Batman? Because Jason Todd seems to think that he is the next in line. He's no. going to be the one to take up the mantle of protector of Gotham. I will say, though, his he showed some incredible prowess in combat against everybody. He was messing up Mr. Freeze. He was messing up Batman. The Black Mask, he destroyed his whole operation, pretty much. And threw mind games half the time. And then just threw bullets to the rest. But, you know, like, he was very effective what he was doing. Well, and, and what's cool about it is, like, you know, we, we talked about how later on he was uh, just destroying shit. And early on he wasn't. It, it's interesting to, to notice, like, his methods are very... 
you know, there, there's a purpose behind everything. Like right. early on, he's trying to build himself up, trying to gain some footing, trying to gain some money so that from that point, he's got a base of operations and then he can just go ham on everything. But yeah, what, what do you guys, uh, what do you think, Fabio? Do you think he could ever be the protector of Gotham? I don't think so. I mean, although I kind of see where he's coming from and I some sort of kind of agree with his methods to an extent, but I don't think he could ever like take up the mantle. Like we saw that in Batman R.I.P. Like, was that the one with yeah, the Battle, uh, Cal, Battle, Battle for the Cal? Battle for the Cal. Battle yeah. for the Cal. Yeah, no, he was taking it to an, a whole different level. And I know that he definitely could not be the sole protector because Gotham would just be even a worse scenario yeah. than it was before. And Batman even said at the end, like, I wanted to kill the Joker. Yeah, I, and I, that, that, that was actually very a raw moment from Batman. Cause yeah, he that's even, one of the most powerful Batman monologues, yeah, I think. Because he yeah. even went very descriptive saying, I wanted to torture him, like, you know, pretty much get him to within an ounce, like an inch of his life and just all this stuff. And I'm like, damn, Batman. But, after, but even with all those feelings, he still did, did, you know, he still held true to his beliefs, and that's a very strong thing to do. And, and I think from that particular scene, one of the lines that's the most powerful is like, you know, you you think that like it would be hard for me to kill the Joker. Like, no, I don't kill the Joker because it would be too goddamn easy. And and like, just that right there is such like a whoa moment with Batman to, to get inside his head and understand the way that he's justifying his actions and why he's doing the way he does or doing what he does the way he does. It's just such a, a, a cool piece of introspection to see like, Oh shit. Like that is how strong his hatred is for Joker and how strong, strong his resolve is against becoming the Joker, you know? Brian, you are going to say Well, I guess I kind of agree. So instead of going at it like from a method standpoint that you guys said, I also don't think that Jason Todd as Red Hood could ever replace Batman. Because of the way Jason Todd goes about things, Jason Todd would then never have a line behind him. Like Batman and Bruce Wayne, and for however you want to discuss how he's brought these people in, he has this whole more or less army that buy into his moral code. You've got, you know, four Robins, each of whom has grown into different things. So you've got Nightwing, you've got Tim Drake going as Red Robin or Robin or whatever. You've had three Batgirls, one of which was spoiler beforehand. You've got Onyx and Tarantula. You've got Onyx and Tarantula. You've got these other heroes in Gotham that believe in Batman's code enough to essentially be part of his team. So that essentially, like, if... and. We've seen it in multiple books, Battle for the Cow, Batman RP. If Batman were to get killed tomorrow, they would pick up. Now, granted, could, do they have all the skills that Batman does? Collectively, probably not, the way Batman's written. But they would pick up where he <laughs> left off. If Red Hood went on like a crazy militia fest through the city, and even if he was temporarily successful, the day that Red Hood got cut down, would somebody come and pick up the Red Hood? Would he even trust somebody to have prepared them for that? Probably not. Another thing, too, is I kind of... like uh, This can obviously debatable, but I just feel like Batman's... A lot of what you're saying, Brian, Batman's just very good at making sure that, like, his emotions don't really get in the way of what he's doing. And that's what I feel like a lot of what Red Hood or Jason's motivation is. It's all of it is, like, driven by these dark, deep-seated emotions. And it's like, even though, yes, like, you know, Batman's very human, there are some times where, like, his emotions do get in the way of him. But he's also known for being in control or trying very desperately to be in control. On your yeah. point, though, I felt like, in, especially in this one, he was kind of out of control for a while when he was, like, transfixed, I thought. I thought it was, that was, like, a really poignant part of the arc where... With the Joker? No, or? with Jason Todd, when he was, like, 
going to super, uh, Superman, going to uh, Green Arrow, trying to figure out about this resurrection thing, and then digging up his grave. Like I thought he was like so obsessed with this thing that it really messes him emotionally. True, but that's and, like that's something that's like personal to him that he's doing. It's not like he's going around the city like trying to really like muck up some shit that catches everybody's attention. Oh no, that, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that. But that's why I'm saying he can't replace batman because batman's not batman's not trying to stop crime based on how he feels personally he's stopping crime because he truly believes in justice and red hood's not really doing that he's calling it justice but at the same time he's just a very angry person well i think we could also get into a whole debate about how much of any of red hood's actions were for the greater good of gotham versus how much of it was just to get batman's attention and And that's the problem and and that's why i think we we want have a really clear answer about Red Hood. But Josh just brought up a very interesting sequence of scenes, actually. And I know, Brian, you said you wanted to dive into one of these, but um, this whole idea of the resurrection of Jason Todd or... Yeah, yeah, you know what? Let's do it as the next segment. All right, so looking at... uh, There there was a a very key scene that we've actually referenced a couple of times here um, between Batman and Superman, where they talk about the various heroes and characters that have died and then returned from death and been resurrected. And Brian, you had said that this was a very poignant scene for you that you kind of wanted to uh, walk us through a little bit. Could you go ahead and do that? Sure. I think it's an outstanding scene. Uh, basically, uh, Batman goes to Metropolis, and there, there's a great little like meeting. Like Batman stops a robbery, Superman shows up, they banter a little bit, and then Batman basically gets to the point and he starts accosting Superman about what happened when he died. And Superman's first reaction is like, you know, I didn't really die. I was in the Kryptonian life chamber and all of that. And Batman says, is it or is that what we were just telling ourselves? And Superman goes, well, even if I had, you know, there's so many characters. And he runs down Hal Jordan, Oliver Queen. Who he visits, Yeah, too. he visits Oliver Queen as well. Uh, Metamorpho. And Superman goes, you know, they've all come back. And it's not science. And Batman just, there's this great panel where Batman's like, it's all science to me. And all of them, I have an explanation for how it happened. You know, and he, he even has a great line about like, uh, mysticism is just uh, its own type of science or whatever. And I just think that the, such a great panel. And like Josh before talked about how Batman was out of control a little bit in this book. And that's just a, such a great panel of this Jason Todd is making Bruce Wayne doubt like his central abilities and his central belief system, which is something that not a lot of other villains or anti-heroes or antagonists really can do. Like outside of maybe like desiring to kill the Joker, like we've talked about, you know, Bruce just, ca- he he believes it's Jason Todd, but he cannot wrap his ha- head around how it's possible. Exactly. He's the world's greatest detective, but he can't figure this out. You know? Right. And, you know, to, to him, it's like, you know, oh, well, Hal Jordan, that involves space and cosmic and whatever. Metamorpho involved this. Superman's an alien. Like, Jason Todd was a normal boy, you know, to him, a boy. So he can't, just can't figure out any sensical way. And I think that's just such a poignant moment. Well, and what's kind of funny is that, like, as, as much as... Batman can't wrap his head around it and it's like a nonsensical sort of explanation like even the official explanation that is offered has a a very nonsensical sort of feeling to it like it's so nonsensical that Jeff Johns doesn't accept that that even happened in his original story to the point that it was um, I actually I was 99% sure but I looked it up on our break it was actually Marv Wolfman who wrote the uh, Marv Wolfman okay who wrote it all right well the punching Marv Wolfman then punching walls thing and jeff johns is the one who wrote the original series who says that 
that was never part of his plot, never in his whatever. So. But it, it brings up a very interesting idea about this whole uh, sort of dichotomy, the, these two different opposing viewpoints of uh, faith versus science, something that can happen because people believe it, you know, the, versus something that happens because of a specific reason that can be explained. And I think that that's a very important especially between these two characters. I mean, Batman has always been that character that's been grounded in realism. I mean, even in comparison to other superheroes, he's the character that, like, all right, well, you know, if you work out enough and if you train in karate enough and if you have enough, enough money, money to be able to buy the fucking Batmobiles and the armor, then Batman is feasible. Whereas, like, you know, Superman, like, fuck, I, I can't be Superman. I he's wasn't born on Krypton. Alien, like, yeah. there's just this magical element to Superman that's... It's just like, you can never be this thing. It takes a, a much bigger suspension of disbelief to believe in Superman than it does to believe in Batman. And I think that's exactly the argument that they're having here. You know, here's this this being that requires some sort of faith and suspension of disbelief who's arguing for faith and suspension of disbelief versus this creature of science and realism who's arguing for science and realism. It, it's a very interesting uh, conversation there. And in that same series of scenes, you brought up that he talks to Oliver Queen. And Malia, you had actually referenced this scene in the other episode, how Batman says to Oliver Queen, like, yo, I know you're harboring this anger towards me, and I don't know what that's about, but it's got to be something that you did. And I think that that kind of characterizes Batman as a person who honestly never tries to do wrong to anybody but that also suggests something about Red Hood. Whatever anger Red Hood has towards uh, Batman, and it's got to be a fucking lot of anger, it isn't about something that Batman's done, but I think that it is about something Batman hasn't done, and in this case, it's that he hasn't killed Joker. I don't know. Anybody want to add on? No, it's true, and it, and, you know, again, it just, it was so interesting to see kind of Batman break his like focus and his you know like to see him digging up the grave and for days staying up trying to figure this out was really like just it was um in a, weird, in a way like so amazing to see him just try to wrap his mind around it you know and i thought it was interesting when he talked to green arrow green arrow said that he had went to heaven yeah and, in the uh the kevin smith right. green arrow quiver yeah arc and so it was like, uh, and for Batman, he's just like, hmm, this is so weird. You know, like, it's such a mind wrap around what he normally knows. It's it's very interesting. Right, like, I like in that scene, and like, it, you know, it's partially a reference to Identity Crisis, which had just happened at the time. But I, li I like Batman's, like, you know, it, it's he's asking them seriously, but if any other character but Batman were asking them, you'd think he's insane when he's asking Green Arrow, like, did you prepare for death as part of a death cult or something? <laughs> yeah. And Oliver Queen is just looking at him like, are, are you out of your fucking mind? What are you talking about? I think he actually says in there, like, I blew, because he, he blows up on a plane. I think he even says, like, I blew up on a plane. I didn't know I, I was going to die. Yeah, like, I didn't prepare for that, you know. How am I supposed to get ready for that? Yeah, there's a, a very very interesting exploration of what and, and that's one of the things that i think is very interesting about comics when they do have characters that die you know especially main characters they we didn't really get this exploration when jason todd died but i mean batman has died a couple of times and specifically i'm thinking now of neil gaiman with whatever happened to the cape crusader but we've got like an exploration of like 
what happens after death. You know, with what happened to the Caped Crusader, we get a very Buddhist reincarnation sort of interpretation. With Quiver, we get a, a much more uh, Christian ideology with this idea of heaven. And that's one of the things that, you know, as, as much as comic books are obviously separate from religion, there's also some very interesting connections to religion at various points in time. And that, that's a conversation for, like, honestly, just a whole other series of podcasts. But um, while we're reaching the end of our uh, Red Hood segment here. You know, I want to talk about the art in a second, but before we move on to the art, I just wanted to go around and in one word to you, uh, the Red Hood, I think, can be looked at in a number of different ways, but in one word, do you think that he is a villain, a hero, or an anti-hero? Malia. Anti-hero. Josh? Uh, I think villain. Villain, okay. Brian? Anti-hero. Anti-hero? I mean, based only on what we've read here, I would have to say anti-hero. Based on ultimate things that happen later on in the New 52, I might change that to hero. But based solely on what we've read here, I would have to say anti-hero. And I only say villain because, you know, I know this is one line thing, but um, he was still selling drugs and he was still running prostitutes and doing illegal stuff to get Yeah, that's money. true. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just want to add, I also like just want to add a, a separate point, but under the Red Hood, there were some really fantastic just villains and characters in there i thought the black the black mask was amazing oh like, black mask was one of the highlights of this book yeah you know um i i haven't said anything about him because we're focusing on red hood but like the black mask was seriously entertaining in this i book. loved his character there are so many points where i was just laughing like when uh uh in the beginning when or just the conversations he had with his assistant they were just so like melancholy and just had no problem talking about death no, it was great and even when they had Deathstroke and the League of Assassins like all that and then that interaction with Batman or, or Batman with Superman when he's like I would order bought you theater tickets like I, it was just like a lot of uh, it was very funny it was good stuff for me my favorite uh, Black Mask moment was when uh, he's trying to deal with Mr. Freeze and Mr. Freeze is trying to prove how tough and unpredictable he is <laughs> yeah. and so he's like trying to tell Tell Mr. Freeze to do something. Freeze freezes one of the henchmen and smashes him to bits. And he's like, oh, okay, I get it. You're unpredictable. You don't like being asked to do stuff. Well, would you mind going to go do this? Like, it would be a like, real big favor for me. Like, he's just so, like, sarcastic. Yeah. And I liked how, like, at the end where Batman had those, like, mini motion sensor bombs by his feet. Oh, yeah, and he's just and like, he, oh, yeah. fucking great. I'm, I'm stuck frozen now. Yeah, he's <laughs> just like, I'll wait here because I'm fucking patient. Just like <laughs> <laughs> I, just, uh, I just wanted to pick up on what Josh said really fast too that that's one of like my favorite joke in the book because i just really i just really love the idea that on previous occasions like clark has gone out and bought theater tickets for him and bruce wayne like i'm just picturing the two of them sitting there watching oklahoma and, like, yeah like just clark <laughs> is like nodding along and bruce is just sitting there going like i I hate you. I could buy out this whole, op- <laughs> yeah. this whole place right now. I, but I also just want, Bruce like, is like, I'm going to drop $5 billion. Yeah. Stop the show. I mean, and again, like I know Black Mask isn't like the central point of you know what we're talking about, but I, I thought he had a great interaction with Red Hood because Red Hood really messed with his mind. You know, at first he was just kind of this annoying like new guy. It's like, ah, I'm still... Th-. And the comic itself references every time they bring up um, a Black Mask, like this guy's the, the crime overlord of Gotham City. But like Red Hood keeps messing with him keeps killing his dudes, you know, plays all these games. In the end, he makes him kill his own men. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, he really got into his head, you know? See, and that's why I have so much trouble calling Red Hood a villain versus an anti-hero, because he is so good at messing with everyone's head, even the villains, in a way that's completely 100% unpredictable. And while, like, you're right, like, he's still letting the prostitution rings run, he's still letting the drug rings run, like, he tried to improve upon them, he's starting to use those for his own benefits, so, like, there's definitely an argument to be made for him as a villain, but the things that he's doing are motivated not by villainy or by evil. Like he's That's not true. letting the prostitution rings run because he's like, I want to make money off prostitution rings. Yeah. He's letting the prostitution rings run because he's like, this is an evil that cannot be stopped, but it's also an evil that ultimately isn't really doing all the, m- that much harm. You know, what did he do with all that kryptonite though? That was a lot of yeah, kryptonite. That, that was a lot, was of, a kryptonite. lot of kryptonite. I yeah. mean, damn, first of all, where do you get all this kryptonite at? I don't think that the, the kryptonite was so much of something that was going to be used at that point in time as much as it was like an insurance policy. I think that was more just him completely fucking over Black Mask from having like his individual protection from ba- uh, from Superman. I don't think that he had any particular I, plan to for it. like if it's... I, it's, it's never used really brought or up again. No. I don't remember. I don't. I, don't th- I think after he explains to him that, like, I have your most important. It might pop yeah. up in another story. I just line, but say, it definitely yeah. wasn't in this book. I just want to say one thing about the hero anti-hero thing. Like, just and I'll make it really fast. There's actually an issue that came out roughly at the same time as this book, and it's from um, Teen Titans issue 29 when Jeff Johns was on the book, and Red Hood goes to Titans Tower. And he incapacitates the other Titans in totally non-painful ways. And he challenges Tim Drake to a fight. And the reason he challenges him to a fight is solely to prove to himself that he's a better fighter than Tim Drake. And the two of them fight back and forth. And eventually Tim Drake stops fighting him. And, you know, he tells him, like, you're out of your mind and I'm not going to give you what you want. So he knocks Tim Drake out and leaves. He doesn't kill him. He doesn't do any damage. He doesn't kill any of the Titans. He doesn't even injure any of the other Titans. Like, he uses, like, sleeping gas on Raven and um, Cyborg. He, like, shuts down his system while he's regenerating. So, like, nothing that could do them any damage. And even Tim Drake, he doesn't want to kill Tim Drake. He doesn't even want to really hurt Tim Drake. He just wants to prove that he's better he's a better fighter than Tim Drake. That's interesting. Cause it, it, it comes back to what we had talked about in the first segment about him trying to live up to the name of Robin and trying to prove that he's really truly worthy of being Robin. Exactly. And just, and just even at the end of it, I think he, he there's something, I forget if he actually says it as dialogue or if it's like a thought bubble, but something along the lines of one day, maybe you will be as good as me kid or something like that. And not that that necessarily is heroic, obviously at all, but to me, the fact that he, he's not trying to, injure any of the heroes he's not even trying to injure tim drake i, I can't really call him a villain after appearances like I mean, that he did injure the shit out of onyx well yeah he did a, that was another point i was gonna bring up when we were saying how like he really hasn't made any enemies that's kind of a, a distinct way to make an enemy like he stabbed her in the shoulder and then kind of threatened her afterwards but he made it very clear though that like he he would have or could have totally killed her and instead did and he even explained like you know what i love about shoulder wounds is they're painful they'll stop you from fighting but they're also really really easy to stop the bleeding and like immediately started putting pressure on the wound and it was like you're gonna be completely okay but i also know you're not gonna be chasing me and fighting me you know so like he could have killed her and he let her know that but like he also made the conscious decision to give her like the easiest wound that he could that would also enable him to get away 
But we're we're winding down to about the last area of our podcast, which is the art. Um, I don't think we need to stop for a segment break. We can just keep moving here. One thing that I wanted to talk about with this that we didn't really get the chance to with the uh, Hush podcast, because both Hush books were from roughly the same time period. We've got three books that, well, with the first two books, there's only a period of about four or five years. But then there's, uh, like I think Fabio said earlier, like a 16-year gap between death uh, in the family family and under the red hood. So I think that we've got a really cool opportunity here to talk about the evolution of the medium and uh, specifically looking at art, but looking at comics as a whole and the, the storytelling methods, the pacing, the writing. So how would you guys compare the earlier books of uh, Second Chances and A Death in the Family to Under the Red Hood? Well, from, from an art standpoint or from like a pacing and story standpoint? Uh, start out with art. We can get into pacing and story later if we need to. Well, from an from an art standpoint, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, there's a world of difference. Uh, first of all, just in the artistic style of the of the later book, and it just it's it's much cleaner line work. It's much. Uh, I think it's a more fluid, almost animation influenced style than the two older books. Are both carry that very comic book traditional look to them. Though I would argue that Death in the Family, even though it's a few years later, it's only a few years later, it has a much harsher art style to it. it it's much harsher it, it almost feels for lack of a better term like like edgier and i don't mean edgy like in the the like marketing interpretation of edgy i mean literally edgy there's a lot of pointed angles and sharp angles the earlier book the even even though that's you know only a couple of years earlier it's very much it very much carries like a traditional rounded comics style uh, I, I would definitely agree with you there, especially comparing the, the earlier two books to uh, Under the Red Hood. I feel like Under the Red Hood, the colorization was what set that apart versus the colorization of the earlier two books. I don't really have too much of an issue with the line styles or anything, but I agree with you that there was uh, an edginess, like you said, like the cornering, the harsher lines, something about the earlier two books, and it may have been a combination of the lines and the color but uh, Death in the Family in particular, as I was reading through it, it felt like I was reading something that was coming out of like the Sunday comics. Like it, it was like a sort of haziness to the coloring, I guess I would call it. Whereas the colors of Under the Red Hood were a lot more vibrant. But I think uh, in terms of the art also, I mean, things were a lot darker in Under the Red Hood. The coloring, again, feeds into that directly. But I think even in terms of the tone of things, there was much brighter colors in the earlier two books that made what would have been and should have been really, really dark, dramatic moments maybe not come off as dark and dramatic as they should have been. Well, and I'm, I'm sure Malia can probably pop in like if she knows, but I, I, I'm, you know, the, um, the older books from the 80s, I'm sure were they were using you know ha traditional hand coloring yeah. and probably had a very probably had a very limited color palette where i'm sure that under the red hood i don't i off the top of my head i'm not sure who the colorist was i'm not sure if, it, if it's named or if it's given to like a graphics company as sometimes happens but i'm sure under the red hood was digitally colored so they I probably wouldn't even say that it's like they probably had a limited use because artists always find a way to get these really high quality colors it doesn't matter what the medium is but i definitely get what you're saying that that that's v very valid 
solid as well. But I, I do think, which is what I was talking to someone before, just about the styles for like the 80s. It's just, it's, it is traditional. You know what I mean? Like it, there wasn't really a division in the art styles and the coloring that really separated it from one another. Everyone was kind of recreating the same thing. So moving on to 16 years where digital art is now booming, it's like that's kind of really like where all the illustration, like any artist, they use Photoshop and these heavier, more dramatic, darker lines are being used and all this these ways to create these really interesting pictures with like photo manipulation like that's just what I think it is it's just a it's a different style change and it's just people developing their own styles by using the same techniques but just inching forward to having their own individuality so it's really interesting and and I, I think the color is a style choice as well that just the palettes that they chose to use to illustrate yeah I feel like the, you know, the colors in Under the Red Hood were great, obviously. But I wasn't too fond of the art, actually. Like, I didn't, I liked the way Black Mask was drawn. And I actually liked the way um, Nightwing uh, also. But Batman didn't really do it for me. His face, at least. His face was not very good sometimes. And Joker, too. Like, I didn't like the Joker art at all. I actually, I would have to agree with Josh. I didn't particularly think it was bad. But from just a quality standpoint, as opposed to, like, addressing, like, comparing the errors. I just thought it was... Like I always hate even saying this because I can't draw a stick figure, but I thought it was kind of mediocre. Yeah, like it was there and it was it was serviceable. It worked, yeah. But it, and it works, and it's not like terrible, and all the figures are consistent or whatever. But you know, a lot of times, sometimes you can read a comic and the art really elevates the story. I didn't feel like the art really elevated under the Red Hood. I thought it would it, it did a serviceable job portraying the script. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. So with because I don't I don't want this comic to seem like I'm kind of contradicting when I was saying before but with finding your own individual style or something that's um unique to you as an artist you can see you can see different um strokes or lines or the way that they you know illustrate their characters or draw the landscape of the background how it sets them apart possibly from other artists but then sometimes there is like um a power behind artists being able to portray human emotions and feelings within their expressions so even with their expressions and then their individual um character traits sometimes they combine it and it doesn't really have the same effect of someone who's able to recreate the same face but then manipulate it to have these um, expressions of angry or sad or surprise that really um, affects you as a reader. So I think what happened possibly is that he made these exaggerations within the face that were really beautiful at times, but it kind of took away from who they were as a character. To kind of add on to that with the idea of facial expressions and stuff, one thing that kind of bugged me about the Under the Red Hood art, I honestly liked the Under the Red Hood art way better than the earlier two books. I felt like there, it, it almost is exemplary of the difference in audience as comic books have evolved. I feel like the first uh, two books in these three that we read were very, very kid-friendly. They were much oh, yeah, more cartoony yeah. looking. Like, if you compare the look of the Joker in his, like, Middle Eastern diplomat garb to the look of the Joker when he's getting, you know, the shit beaten out of him and he's tied to C4 in the end of Under the Red Hood, there's some very obvious differences. So I would have to say, personally, I liked the Under the Red Hood art best just because it, it's a little bit more realistic to me and a little bit grittier, I guess. The darker tone, I I kind of like in general, but I would say that the thing that bugged me, uh, going back to what Malia was saying about facial uh, recognition and different uh, faces that you would make to communicate emotion, was I actually 
at a certain point when I was reading this, finally all of a sudden noticed that the artist had been drawing eyes on Red Hood, and that really, really bothered me for some reason. There are multiple artists on the book. There's like three, I think there's three different artists. Yeah, but you kind of, if there's you look at... There's three pencils, rather. It's Doug Mackey, Shane Davis, and Eric Battle. So I wonder if all three of them are, or if maybe like it kind of alternated depending who was doing the I, I wonder. I didn't take I, like perfect notice, yeah, but I same, know at a certain I, point, I was like, holy I'm, shit, he's got eyes on that mask? Because I'm trying to remember. I don't remember eyes like on the mask all the time, but I remember like noticing it when it was there. So I wonder and, if maybe it was only... Yeah. For me, the red hood seems so much more natural without those eyes. Like, I don't know what exactly it is but when i picture the red hood it's just exactly yeah and and maybe it dates back to the killing joke because it was just like a red cylinder that you couldn't possibly have made a face through but suddenly i noticed that and it was really really distracting to me from that point forward i feel like it almost would have been more powerful to not have had those eyes there which gave you that hint of facial expression and i feel like the character would have almost been more mysterious uh up until you had discovered who his identity was anyway if there had been no hint of you know what emotion he was even feeling when he was delivering these lines and i guess that could have been a little frustrating to the reader at times to not know is this line delivered in anger is he being sarcastic like what's going on but i still like personally anyway feel like it might have been a little bit more powerful to add this sort of era of mystery uh to the character i agree one last quick note on the art i really love the matt wagner covers like the original covers and i hate to say this i mean no disrespect to the pencilers who did work on it but every time i would turn past a cover i would think to myself man this book would look beautiful if matt wagner had done all the interior art the covers were great, yeah. So I think we've exhausted everything we have to say about Jason Todd slash Red Hood. So stay tuned for future Comicsverse podcasts. We've got a couple more origin story episodes coming up for you. And then we've got a series of episodes about comics that you may not be familiar with and should definitely go check out anyway. Again, as a final reminder for uh, those of you who somehow stumbled onto this without knowing, you can find us on the web at Comicsverse.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Comicsverse, Twitter at Comicsverse.com, Instagram at Comicsverse, uh, Tumblr at Comicsverse.tumblr.com, uh, YouTube at YouTube.com slash Comicsverse TV. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Roku. What was the other one, Josh? Oh, uh, SoundCloud. SoundCloud was the other one. We're on there too. And earlier I had said we're on Twitter at Comicsverse.com, but that's false. We're on Twitter at, at Comicsverse. Um, so definitely make sure that you check us out on those various channels. We've got more podcasts for you, lots of reviews we've got articles blog posts videos interviews all kinds of things for your comic love and self so uh let's say a couple of final words uh before we do our final sign off malia i had a good time uh <laughs> i've had a little difficulty keeping up with all the robins but they're all very sad people and i wish them better <laughs> i wish them better stories in the future <laughs> I really, I, I can't beat. They're all really sad people. Like they are, like, I had a great time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. I would just like to say that it was great talking with you guys about uh, Jason Todd. And um, I'm sorry, Malia, that all the Robins are so sad. I, I mean, I wouldn't trade their life for anything. You you wouldn't ever want to be a Robin. No, they, maybe a Dick Grayson. Maybe. maybe a Dick Grayson. Well, you know, he did get shot in the shoulder once, but he hasn't died yet. <laughs> yeah, he didn't get shot in the back like Oracle. That's true. Yeah. Well, stomach slap. Spine. Yeah. Anyways, Josh, uh, yeah. to the send off. With, uh, you know, Kathy's not here, but I got a cute little send off with the release of Straight Out of Compton and uh, <laughs> how much how much I enjoyed this comic. Let's just uh, let's keep it in the hood. Let's do Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Have a good night, guys. 